0: Yeah, so I have a background in like from the university side, like in physics, uh, but I grew up at the computer science uh, department in southern Germany. Uh, ever since, I'm um, working in IT, and uh, that was just something I didn't have a lot of experience with because I work on uh, mostly business applications, I would say, uh, web services, uh, but, but like, mostly like for enterprise customers and. So those were like pretty boring, so to say. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I wanted uh, to work with like more modern uh, technologies, uh, try new things and then also apply my my mathematical background to it. And so that was the ideal uh, combination.
1: Yes, for me, uh, I also have a scientific background. I originally studied biology. I did my masters in neurobiology. This is also where my interest in AI comes from, because there are some parallels. And yes, during my studies, I realized that uh, the working conditions in research are not really what I wanted for myself. And I had a strong interest in technical things, so I started to work as a QA engineer after my studies, and then switched to software product management and worked a couple of years for agencies and um, startups before we started working on PhotoPRISM.
2: Very cool. So you mentioned PhotoPRISM, that's your project. Uh, that you've been working on. Can you tell us just a little bit about what that is? What does it do? Uh,
1: Yes, Photogrism is a privacy and user-friendly AI-powered photo management app. So the idea is to give our users a tool that respects their privacy and that puts them in control of their data. And we use AI to make it easier to manage large amounts of photos. So after you tell the software where your photo library is located, a lot of things are happening automatically in the background. So we detect faces, there's an image classification that adds labels to the images, we read a lot of metadata out of the image files itself, but also out of file names or folder names. Then we have a reverse geocoding that adds additional metadata based on the location where the photos have been taken. There's a duplicate detection that makes sure that people don't have the same image twice in their library. Files um, can be related to each other. For example, if you do like time burst photos, so a lot of photos of the same scene, or you have um, a raw photo and different edits of it, such as a a black and white or sepia version, those files get stacked automatically. And um, yes, we do collect a lot of data around these files and use them to display the files to users in different um, ways. So normally if you organize files, a lot of people do it like uh, in the, Windows Explorer or the Finder from Apple, from Apple. And there you can just browse your files by folders. In prism we do have different pages. So you do have a search with all of your files. Uh, then you do have um, a section where your files are sorted by the objects that are on the files. You have a section um, where you can view uh, all photos where a certain person is on. You have a map where you can browse photos by location. Um, we also do filter out uh, non-photographic or low-quality content, such as memes or uh, screenshots you have on your phone. Um, yes.
0: So. Yeah, so the, uh, I, w- I would say, like, the original use case or, like, the, 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 f- the first goal we had is that the software is working for our own pictures uh, because we both, especially me, we have, like, lots of uh, pictures on our disk uh, completely unsorted. and like we figured it's like faster to write the software than to like sort them manually. Uh, and like for her, it was, I'd say maybe the cat's pictures so that she <laughs> could like find all the, all the pictures with her cats on it.
3: Yeah. It's awesome. They, I, I run into this problem all the time on the iPhone is like, you know, over the years, iPhone's been out since, I don't know what 2000, I forget 2000 pre 2010. Um, just to be able to search. You got everybody's got so many pictures on their phone, or via the iCloud, or via, or via on their phone, on their local phone. Um, it's so hard to find anything, and if you have to find anything that's you know six years old, you have to scroll forever. Now you can search for some things on on the iPhone, but you know not compared to what you guys do in in Photoprism. So it's really it makes it really convenient to be able to go in and search for you know all cat photos or all. Photos of pizza, or all photos of a, of a particular person. So that's really cool. Um, is that sort of the motivate? What motivated you guys to start start the, building the project?
1: Different things. So I uh, wanted to do something with AI and, um, and the find the cat pictures. Find the cat pictures.
0: So I guess I guess that was really the main main thing. So the first first recognition we did uh for the five the cat pictures. And then uh, all the other when I mean, the the software supports many different labels, uh, but this was like about, like the first kind of use uh, slash uh, test case uh, we had. And uh, also uh, what what's also like important like besides the privacy aspect is that uh, like with our software you can just like point it to any directory and then. Uh, search all the contents without having to upload them to the cloud because many many people think it's like more convenient if you have have uh, the, a cloud search or a cloud application but if you have like lots of pictures for whatever reason some on some local disk uh, and it's not very convenient if you first have to upload all of them to the cloud because it could take uh, hours or days even or maybe weeks depending on how much uh, you have. So this is this is much faster to do a, a local search.
2: You mentioned privacy. One of the things that people are scared of is up, uploading their pictures onto these sort of websites and stuff, but you know, they're nervous about it. Who's gonna see my pictures? What measures do you take to protect privacy on uh, Photoprism? So
1: first of all, the user decides where his photos are stored. So he can install Photoprism on his private server, on the server he owns, like by a hosting provider or on his computer. Uh, and the photos never leave um, this location the user shows So the artificial intelligence we use, such as the image classification or the facial recognition, is running completely local. So the files never leave um, the system and uh, no data is sent.
0: Yeah, that's also what makes it fast because we don't, also for the recognition, we don't have to send the picture data to the cloud because then you have like a round strip and then uh, the indexer stalls and needs to wait for the data Uh, I mean you could of course like do it in some asynchronous way uh, where you like first index the files and then in the background uh, update them or something like that. Uh, But this way you can do it everything uh, locally uh, and then when the file is indexed it's actually completely indexed and it's not like some data is missing and then you need to uh, do another scan and another scan and then wait for some background worker until everything is done.
2: Sounds like a great way to organize your photos. I, I was just on a few longer plane rides and one of my hobbies on plane rides is trying to sift through my phone to see what photos I like, what photos I ignore. And a lot of times I'm like, well, I forgot about this picture or something like that. So I, I really like this tool. I think it's, I think it's very cool. Uh, when did you launch this uh, platform?
1: So we started working on it on uh, 2018. And I think we had the first stable release end of 2020.
3: So you were, you were in on this before the whole AI hype took off last year. Exactly, yes. Yeah.
0: We're doing this for like quite, it's not, it's not really a long time. Um, like these type of models, they don't exist for a very long time. Uh, but these were like the first usable models uh, that you could use uh, for free also that we're not like completely proprietary Uh, and they're like just getting better. So our plan is also to uh, update the models from time to time. So uh, users have like additional features that can uh, detect uh, additional types of pictures.
3: Cool. And one thing people can do right now, if you go to photoprism.app, there's a demo there um, that shows you exactly what it looks like if you had it on your computer and it's really cool to play around with. So you can go there right now, photoprism.app and play around with that on, uh, live on their website uh it's just a demo but they will show you what it will look like on your computer one thing that's um you know back to the privacy thing is people don't realize too if you it, i don't want to scare people but if you have all your pictures up in even iCloud something that you think is secure uh you know via apple you know if you if your account got compromised someone could get in and get all your pictures pretty easily um i just heard a story about someone um you know, in the tech space in Silicon Valley, he's a, he's a big wig guy. And he said that it's very easy right now to, if a hacker really wanted to get into your Apple account, they could because there's, there's ways where they can turn on some kind of thing on your phone where, or there's some kind of um, method to get into your account on Apple that hasn't been patched yet um, in terms of, like a setting that's meant for disabled people and uh, hackers are sort of exploiting that. Um, So you just got to be careful anytime you put anything on the cloud, you know, it could be if your account gets hacked, it could mean real trouble for you. And with this uh, everything's locally. So you don't have to worry about that, which is super nice.
0: Yeah. It's uh, actually the same thing with Google. Uh, It's currently being exploited. Some, uh, something with their like their authentication tokens uh, and it's, from what I know it started spreading on uh, YouTube this week. Okay. And then they're like infecting additional uh, other accounts with this and then also uh, post the link or what it is there uh, and uh, so it press. And then also like, like besides this, it's also possible that uh, your account gets uh, blocked by Google uh, because they think you have like whatever pornography uh, in your account. Uh, then you might lose access to all your pictures forever, and they, like they don't do anything. Uh, they don't provide any kind of like personal support uh, for private users. Uh, then you you just lost.
3: Right, like if you for Google, if you ever, God forbid, you had problems with your account, there's no one to call and help you through it. I mean, there's no Gmail support or Google account support. There is if you're you know a pay, I have a paid tier, but even then, I, you know it's not, it's not good. So if you had problems, like you said, if, you know, your account got flagged because they're scanning all your pictures and they think you're doing something mischievous, which you really aren't, you know, your, your pictures could be gone forever. So it's, it's kind of scary, you know, but, um, it's cool that tools like these exist. Now, uh, photo prism, it's an open source project, correct? Yes. Yeah. And how do people go about using your project? Can you just go through the basic steps on how they'd get it installed on their computer?
1: So, we have uh, different ways to install it. Um, so, some NAS providers have apps in their app stores. That's the easiest way. The other way is um, through Docker Compose. So, um, we have a step by step instruction on our homepage, and um, you can follow it to install it on your server or computer.
2: I-, I wanted to ask you guys more generally about AI and photography and imaging. Uh, the last few years, we've, the last year particularly, uh, we've seen deep fake images being created, uh, different advancements in AI photography. What's your general opinion on on that sort of thing? Or what direction do you think it's headed?
0: Everything is happening so fast as well. We uh, also have um, an open AI uh, like a, like a paid account where you can uh, try their uh, different models. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm not sure if, like, we want to get involved in, like, this uh, generative uh, AI thing because there's uh, so much uh, potential for abuse, obviously. Uh, Like, either uh, you could, like, create pornography of, like, of friends or something like that, or, uh, uh, like, kids you have pictures of or, uh, like, politicians uh, and... Uh, it's, I think it's it's best to leave that to the uh, to the big companies who like have like a like a whole department who can like take take care of these issues. Um, because otherwise, like it's, I think it's could it could also be easy to get like get like sued and then you lose a lot of money and then you you did this for free at the end of the day and then uh, it's, it's just uh, uh, just not worth it, I think. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of amazing and scary at the same time. I mean, uh, Ryan and I use some different, uh, image generation apps, mid journey and Dolly we've experienced and experimented with, and they're so fascinating because it's like, you know, I can, I can create anything that I want, but then at the same time, it's like they are dangerous and it is just how, how you use them, what purposes you're using them for. And, uh, yeah i'm I'm kind of the same way as you, Michael, It's just like sitting back and watching this this stuff unfold. It's very interesting to see what's going to happen with all this image generation in the next um, in the next couple of months and years.
0: Yeah, I also think, uh, I was kind of like a trainee at a, at a newspaper uh, when I was like when I, just when I finished school uh, just uh, for a few weeks. Uh, but what I learned is that the pictures you take, they should like document the reality kind of uh in in like a like a like a proper way and there's some ethics attached to it uh and using ai to create uh realistic photos uh it just doesn't seem right to me
2: yeah there there was a report that just came out uh on monday and it said that one of the biggest worries that people have about ai's impact even on the economy is its ability to create these pictures and this content that can mislead uh, mass amounts of people right like people can make political decisions or they can make business decisions or personal decisions based on images they see or content they see or generated articles that aren't true and uh that can be very dangerous because it, it a lot of these images look so real, right? And the content seems so real and it's almost impossible at times to differentiate between is that picture AI generated or is it not? Um, that's not of the course
1: AI models do. <laughs> the differentiation between AI, AI and real photos.
2: Yeah, that's
0: also, uh, by the way, it's also bad for the, for developers, you know, like especially uh, all the open source developers who don't have that many resources. Uh, I've just heard from uh, the author from um, the, the, the curl library and the, the curl command line tool. Yeah. Uh, and he's receiving uh, lots of uh, like bug bounty uh, requests, uh, bug reports uh, for like security issues. Uh, there are like many of them are made up now, so they, they huh. People ask ChatGPT. Uh, uh, create uh, uh, like a bug report a sec- sec- find a security issue and uh, write a nice uh, bug report for me. And then uh, they try to get the bounty for it. Uh, and this creates uh, so much additional work and you cannot like recognize it just by looking at it. If it's real uh, wow. or not.
3: So people are creating issues on GitHub that are fake. Yes. Wow. Yes.
2: Well,
1: not in our case yet but uh... Yeah, if there's, there's a, like a bug
0: bounty uh, program, for example, like there's open source projects that are used also by by like by by Microsoft or Google, and then they say, okay, if there's like a like a security issue that impacts us, then we're paying money to get it fixed, uh, and uh, so that that drives people uh, to report these kind of uh, security issues or they, they try to find them, and if they're not smart enough, they use AI for it. <laughs> Uh, we don't. We we also thought about like having some issue bounties or bug bounties, uh, but that's like one of the things that why we decided not to do this. Yeah. Uh, so that we don't don't get like these these uh, fake reports. Yeah.
3: Sure. That's one of the things that p- people aren't familiar with GitHub. If you have a project on GitHub, that's one of the h- really hard things to keep up with is issues because there's all especially if you're a a popular product. Um, it's hard to keep up with everything because a lot of the issues might not be, you know, they might be from an end user that doesn't know much about the product project and they're creating an issue that really isn't an issue, and it's hard to keep up with those as, a, as an open source developer. Um, one of the things that is kind of fascinating about images that people don't know is, and I'm sure you guys know a lot about this, is when you take an image, there's a lot of metadata on an image. So what is it called EXIF data? Is that how you say it? Also, yes.
0: Yeah there's all uh, there's all kinds of metadata but this is like the access is the, is the traditional one it's around like since the 90s I guess uh it starts with the digital cameras uh from what i know uh, and then there's uh, XMP uh, which is a newer format but which can also be included uh and so uh the the, the um, w- one of the things that our software does is actually like extract the same fields or similar fields from from different uh, types of formats and then merges them or like figures out like which is the the, the best information to use.
1: This is one of the challenges because there's no real metadata standard. So every tool that is like creating photos, so every vendor is writing two different fields. So there are like common fields that are used a lot, but it's not the same for all vendors and they are sometimes used for different
3: purposes yeah so is is for for people that don't understand is basically every single phone and camera out there when you take a picture it's got this metadata in there automatically unless you turn it off is that true is that how it works
1: Yeah. so it depends on your phone settings uh-huh. so for example you can turn something off such as uh, saving the gps coordinates uh and also other cameras can do it um depending on uh which device you use and the settings uh, but normally, like at least uh, taking a date uh, or the camera device, which lens has been used is safe, like in the image
3: file. What one of the fa- one of the fascinating things I learned last year is that there's an there's apps out there that let you upload a photo, like say I think it's called like an Exif app, you know, for lack of a lack of a better term because I don't know the exact exa- the exact name of it. But on the iPhone, you can download these Exif apps and you can pull up a photo in there. And and even a photo of someone else sends you, and it, and if depending on if they have their if that user had the EXIF data turned on or off in their iPhone settings, you can find out where they took that picture from. Um, so it's almost it's like tra- it's kind of like tracking in a way that a lot of people don't know about, um, which is crazy. So like for example, I played this game with my parents the last couple of years where they would send me a picture of where they were um and it would be like a photo in the woods right And because they like to go on hikes uh in the woods around us in in cleveland ohio where we, where i live and every time I'd, I'd immediately put it up in the xf app find out where they took the picture and reply back you're at this park and they were just blown away <laughs> they're like how do you do this you're stalking me are you tracking my phone and i never told them how i actually did it but it was always <laughs> fun to be able to guess where they were so there are ways to find out where a picture was taken, depending on if the user had their, uh, that data turned on or off in their iPhone settings. So is there anything else in that EXIF data that's um, kind of uh, interesting for the end user to know that, you know, that's, that, that data's like, and is there any kind of specific data that's, Tied to pictures, that's very interesting. That the end user, you know, someone watching this podcast might not know about
0: serial numbers. Uh, so the like the usual smartphones are, uh, you nowadays take pictures with they don't have like serial numbers in the metadata. At least most of them. Uh, but from like the regular cameras, especially like uh, professional uh, cameras, they usually have like a serial number for the, for the body and for the lens. So you can identify them. And then if you know uh, this is like who this number belongs, uh, then you can, uh, like if you, if you lost your lens, if it got stolen, then you can basically search the internet. If somebody like posts a picture with like this, the same serial number, for example, uh, and also like they can, of course, everyone can identify if this, the picture was taken with the, with the same lens or not. The only thing is uh, it could like, of course it could be fake because uh, it's not like there's no signature right now that would like guarantee that the data you find is correct. Uh, but this is actually something, and this is also related to AI, uh, which we are working on right now. Uh, so like the, the big uh, vendors like like Canon and, and Icon, uh, I guess. Uh, so that there's a digital signature in the, uh, in the picture. Uh, uh, just like a, like a web server certificate when you like open the website of your bank so you know it's, uh, it's the bank you're talking mm-hmm. with. Uh, and so when you take a, a picture with uh, one of those uh, cameras uh, that's supported, then you have a digital signature, and then that uh, guarantees that like that's a, like a real uh, a photo taken with like a Canon camera uh, that the metadata, like the um, the serial number, but also the coordinates, for example, or the timestamp uh, is correct.
3: Awesome. So is it something that, like, that can't be tampered with by someone? It's uh,
0: at least not easily, so yeah. you would, I, I don't know like how I make I guess they have, they have it encrypted somewhere in the camera, uh, so you cannot, obviously you need some kind of uh, kind of a signature key for this. Uh, I guess it's uh, somewhere in the, in the hardware, so you cannot easily extract it.
2: I was just going to say, uh, I mean, Ryan's probably the better one to talk about this, but I'm curious um, about the tech side of your Photoprism platform, uh, kind of the underlying tech stack and what that looks like. Uh, particularly with your search, because it seems like you can search up different things in your photos. Is the AI trained on, you know, image data? How, do, how does that sort of thing work? So
0: the the tech stack is uh, we're using a Go in the back end.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but the model we use, it's uh, like a pre-trained model. Uh, like a, it, it was uh, created for like a, like a competition originally. Uh, so it's like trained on uh, like a standardized uh, image set uh because you always always need, need some training data uh, and then also uses like standardized uh terms it's uh, called um uh, image net and uh, word net so it's uh, like like something something you do in AI it's everything is like kind of standardized so that you can uh, can uh, compare the performance uh or like connect them like with other models and you don't need to like start from scratch and like figure out like how how it is working uh or like kind of um uh, images can classify as uh, this is uh this is uh pretty much uh, standardized at least for the models that, uh, that are published on the internet
3: cool so you when you your tech stack it's a combination of ai and the metadata are like those are the two more, most important factors of how to find a cat, for example, in your picture?
0: Yeah, so it's all glued together in the in a, in a, a back-end. Uh, with, uh, it's a, a Go server application. Uh, it's a programming language uh, maintained or originally developed by Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also using it for many uh, of their uh, back-end services. Uh, and the good thing is like, it's, it's very fast compared to, uh, let's say, a PHP or what else you could use. Uh, also faster, like really, in Python or other script languages, and uh, the downside is, however, that it wasn't like originally meant to be used in this this uh, in this way. So it's a bit, usually if you if you uh, have these types of applications, they're written in uh, either Python or JavaScript. Uh, from from uh, what I know, or like from from what I've seen. Uh, In practice, uh, we're I think the only ones uh, who use the Go programming language, Uh, but it was uh, important to have like a very clean uh, source code. Uh, It's uh, very well testable. So because uh, security is very important to us and the performance is very important to us, Uh, and so we made this this uh, trade off. But it also meant a little bit of additional work uh, Mm -hmm. because it like it didn't like easily uh, work with everything we wanted to do uh, with all the models. For example, like we had to uh, compile our own uh, version of their library uh, and then also contributed to the Google projects, to the TensorFlow projects so that others uh, can also use it this way.
3: Got it. And is it just you two working on the project? Michael, it sounds like you're doing most of the coding. Is that that true? Uh, Yes,
1: the core team (laughs) is the two of
0: us and
3: Michael is the developer. Okay.
1: Test automation and uh, QA, but I'm not developing features. That's-
0: yeah,
3: you, you you get the fun job of saying, hey, this is wrong and fix it for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Say if I upload, uh, you know, 100 pictures of my personal pictures from my phone up to Photo Prism on my local machine, Does your software look at each image and identify objects in each one of those images as they're being uploaded? Like, how does that work?
1: So this is a process we call indexing. So Mm -hmm. it's running over the pictures and during this indexing, uh, all of these things happen. So the AI model uh, is doing the image classification and it adds like labels like dog, cat, uh, nature. So it's not a a real object detection. So it's not detecting single objects like wheel or um, small objects, uh, mm-hmm. it's more like a classification uh, and also facial recognition is done on the images. So yes, every image is, uh, analyzed. Once.
3: Okay. So when you say it's an object isn't detected. How does it, kn- it's indexing instead. What, how does it know what's in the image?
0: Basically, uh, let's say there's like different types of, of models. They all, that all have to do with like, or can be applied to, to image data, uh-huh. uh, and then there's uh, like these these general classification models that like look at a picture as a, a picture as a whole. Like uh, it could be like like a cat in front of a window or something. Okay. Uh, and then you have uh, there could also be other things, but they might not be like important for the for the for the image as such. Uh, and then it's like getting classified as a, like a like a cat, uh, and then maybe also like 20%, you get like probability is like 60% cat uh, and 20% window or something like this. Uh, whereas these, uh, the, the models that do the object detection, uh, they originally, they're the original main use case um, was for uh, self-driving cars. Uh, so, because this is, this is a completely different use case. Uh, because the the cars uh, they need it so they can see like small objects uh, at the end of the road so they know they need to uh, need to uh, break because there's like a person so these types of models they usually at least the the ones you get uh, get for free they're usually trained with uh, objects related to uh, to this this, uh, use case um, for the self-driving cars so they typically they detect rocks, they detect traffic lights, uh, they detect people uh, and other cars, uh, bicycles. So this is, this is the different object they usually uh, recognize.
3: Okay, so it's completely different than what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, we, we, we thought about uh, also adding this, but uh, yeah, the, 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 the main issue we had with this was that the free, model, uh, free models, that were available, at least at that time. So we're going to check this again when we have a bit of time. Uh, but back then, it was mainly for self-driving cars. And like it didn't look like a, like something that provides a good uh, like value to our users. Mm-hmm. But not... Because
1: it's not really what you expect if you have like the scene where we have like maybe your kids in front and somewhere in the background, there's like a traffic sign. You want to find the photo based on your kids, and not because you're searching for a traffic sign. So this is not how you would approach to find this uh, photo.
3: Okay. So is your is your software look for the most what you think is the most important thing in the photo, and then, for lack of a better word, tag that?
1: Exactly. This is the reason why we chose the image classification over the oh. object detection. So we plan to use uh, additional models or uh, better models in the future because, uh, as you say, it's evolving a lot the space. Sure. But we also need to take into account which models uh, we can use because there are restrictions uh, due to the servers or the hardware our users use. So you cannot use like very large or resource intensive models because most people don't have the hardware to run it. So it's always a trade off to see.
0: Yeah, it also took us I think at least half a year I would say uh, until uh, we have a feeling like for the model we currently use had a feeling what the probabilities mean because uh we have like different thresholds uh for each uh category it can detect um, but uh, for example like the cats the cat pictures they might be reliable when the model says uh like 30 percent it might be very reliable but like uh like the trees,
1: of windows
0: yeah there's or you know, like different types of animals, they all have like different thresholds where, like a human would say, "Okay, this is this is what the picture is about." So you cannot like just say, "Okay, if the probability it outputs is like fifty percent, then uh, uh, we we'll label it as that." But uh, instead, we say, "Okay, this is uh, this is something so like so distinct, uh, and uh, this this works really well and." It's like 10% probability is enough. Uh, at least we add the at the add it as a keyword so that you can find it. But then there's still there's like generic things like um like windows or doors. Mm-hmm. And for for that like I don't want generally I don't want to want my my pictures to be like about doors or, yeah. or windows even if there, there's one on the on the in the scene. Uh, so those. Generally, it would have like higher thresholds and get like ignored if there's like a, like a ten percent chance or five percent chance that there's like the window, uh, then like just uh, just ignore it.
3: Yeah. At, is it, do you have like a list of like a database of things that you guys put a less emphasis on, like doors and windows? Is that is that hard coded in the code?
0: Uh, it's actually something uh, that also other. Because we, we were kind of the first ones to do this. Uh, and it's actually something that other open source uh, developers uh, took from us because it was uh, published on GitHub. Uh, some of them asked, or asked us if they can use it. And of course, uh, so uh, you will also find uh, the work we did that, like in other open source projects now.
3: Awesome, awesome. And what is there a, I didn't check this out. Is there a paid tier or are you guys looking at is this a for profit company? Um, just had and it has open source uh code in the background. How are you guys, if you're looking to make it profitable, how are you guys looking to do that?
0: In, in, the, mean, in, in the meantime, we originally had everything uh, uh for free, everything open source, uh, but then like learned that this is not sustainable this way. Mm-hmm. So, what we have now is uh, like I would say, like. 98% uh, uh, free and open source. Uh, and then we have uh, memberships, like two membership tiers, like uh, the essentials and, and plus, we call it, uh, where like, users uh, can sign up to support us. And then uh, they, for example, they get like additional map types uh, that we also pay for. So they like these are like commercial maps uh, that we uh, give them access to, uh, like satellite maps and like 3D maps uh, when you're like living in the mountains. So you can uh, can see uh, the height of the mountains where the, where you took the pictures there. It's not not everything
3: is flat. Awesome. Uh,
0: stuff like that. And then also um, some additional uh, admin uh, user interface so don't, you don't have to uh, use uh, the terminal. To do
3: certain things okay so it's a, which is a, a very awesome everything's open source in the year and then you're going to have maybe there'll be extra features on top of the open source project that will be paid tiers but um the vast majority of your project is open source and free which is awesome for the end user
0: exactly and especially everything that that makes us kind of unique and especially all the the machine learning everything is open source
3: very cool now do you do you guys have um it's just you two working on it are there other developers that are um, helping you out, uh, you know for free like you know open because since it's an open source project you get pull request across uh, a decent amount of time or um, How does that look?
1: So we look at pull requests and we do have like I would say a handful of contributors who regularly that like, I Two or three times a year do something uh, we do get a lot of one-time contributions. Um, some people do help answer questions in our chats or, or help other community members solving their uh, specific problems. Uh, or people do help with translations. Um, so initially we do all new translations uh, with DeepL, for example, but if people find they want to improve something in their native language, then they can improve this.
3: Like, out of all the people that you've talked to have user product, is there anything you see similar, like for use case examples? I mean, everyone wants to use it for privacy. That's an obvious one. Are there any other things that people are using Photoprism for that maybe the general person might not think about, be thinking about? For,
0: uh, for everything, uh, we had like uh, somebody asking on, uh, on Twitter or X, uh, as it's called now, uh, uh, it's like a, I think he's like a trader and like manages his charts. Okay. Uh, with
1: it. So screenshots of its chats.
0: Yeah, I think there's also many artists. Uh, f- some of them, they do uh, breasts on it or something, like uh, something okay. you cannot uh, host on Google or you like might get in trouble. All right. <laughs> uh, and So I haven't seen the pictures, uh, but they said, sort of cannot like use the regular cloud hosting because uh, the, all the features uh, are going wild. Uh, and so they need to self-host it, uh, although it's like like drawings or something, right? Uh, yeah. But they need to self-host it because they cannot, cannot use uh, Cloud Search for it.
3: Well, yeah, there's a fine line. I mean, someone might have, uh, you know, artistic nude pictures or something like that that uh, Google might not want, but uh, they're totally fine because they're art. Uh, so it may be an example like that that people would use on their local that they could use on their local computer with photo prism but not with like google drive or google photos or something like that So, what's the next step for this project uh do you have, like in the future what do you do you have any goals uh over the next year or two
1: so we definitely want to grow our team so mm-hmm. currently it's the two of us and developers are expensive and as we're growing organically uh, it just takes time until we can afford to hire someone uh, to support us uh, on a regular basis this is one goal, then we have a lot of features in the pipeline. And another big point is simplifying the installation. Because currently you kind of need to have some technical skills and you need to have a server and this is something which we want to simplify so that more users can um, use the software.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So ideally you can like just download a binary also on Windows and then just click install and then... Uh, we we'll also want to provide our users, or at least our members, like with, uh, with their own uh, subdomain or something, uh, like like uh, the certificate, so that they uh, can securely share their pictures over the internet. Because this is this is possible right now, but it's like not fully automated. So so you need some at least some technical skills to get it done. Uh, and we think like once this is this is. Automated and you just need to click then Uh, the user base would also like grow substantially.
3: Got it. So you'd be able to From your local computer share a picture Um with somebody else like across the world like via a link and that would link to your local computer Is that how it would work?
0: Yeah, so we, we could for for example like provide like a proxy service or something uh-huh. uh similar also to uh a Cloudflare uh, where it's like a, like a VPN that when the, the other person connects to our server. And then, uh, we, uh, act as a proxy and, uh, make it available. Yeah.
3: Awesome. That'd be very cool. Um, and this works. What if someone uploads a video, what happens with that? Do you index that as well? Or is it just for photos?
1: No, videos work as well. So um, we detect if the video can be played natively by the browser because the Photoshop is a web app, so you open it in your browser. And if the video format is natively supported by a browser, we don't need to do anything with the file. We just do the normal things. We extract the still image where we do like the facial recognition, the image classification on the metadata out of videos. It's slightly different than from photos and then we can play the video. If the format of the video is not supported, we will um, transcode it to a format that is supported by the browser so that the user can play.
0: It. Yes, actually videos are like a large part. We, we initially, we wanted to, because we, we don't have that many videos, uh, we wanted to uh, focus on photography, but our users said, okay, you have a, have a great application, but I'm, I'm not using it without the video support. Uh, then we, okay, we do like a simple video support, uh, then was the best, this, the transcoding is so slow, uh, we need hardware support for this. Uh, and now, we're, like we're supporting all the formats and uh, hardware transcoding with uh, Intel, with AMD, with, uh, with uh, Nvidia graphics cards. Yeah, um, yeah obviously,
2: it's <laughs> it has, a nightmare.
0: A lot of work that we wanted to avoid initially, but it's, uh, uh, I mean, we listen to our users. If they if they if they want us, uh, then sure. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but it's uh, I, I'm sure it adds a hundred percent of the work on your end. I just the last couple of nights on my end, I, I'm trying. I do YouTube videos, uh, like educational ones, and I've had the hardest time. My computer just lags and it drops frame rates, and I it took me. It's been I still it's still a problem. It's because the encoder is a problem. It's because it's on a Mac, and it just it's a nightmare. So I can I can only imagine how much more work uh, that would be on your end, just because it's a, a never ending cycle of information that you have to learn uh, about videos. Uh, there's a lot of technical details about videos to be able to implement it. implement that into your project as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then also uh, what's especially complicated are the hybrid formats, uh, like live photos, but also uh, uh, there's something like motion photos that select like the, 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 like a live photo, but on Android. Uh, and these are like videos at. That are in the same file as as the JPEG image, and uh, so we developed a custom parser that opens the file, then skips everything until the video starts, and then plays the video uh, from the from the image file.
3: Wow, well, that's so, crazy! So uh, are you talking about like the images that, like on Apple, if you hold your, if you hold the image down, it starts playing? Is that what that is?
0: Yeah, exactly. But Apple, Apple is at least so nice that they create Two files, one image file and one video file that you can like open separately. Uh, but Google like saves everything in one file, and then so and if you if you just open it regularly, it just looks like a regular JPEG image. So you cannot play it.
3: What? So is it? It's two for the iPhone one. It's two files in one. Fi- is it like a compressed file? Like two files uh, in one. Is two files. Okay.
0: But Android is like just like one file.
3: Got it. All right. Interesting.
0: So it's, a, it's basically a custom format they made up for this. Oh, and it's not, it's not usually supported by anything. So we had to develop our own, uh, parser for this uh, own handler because okay. this is not something that you can usually, uh, play.
1: And of course, of course, it differs between different vendors. So the Google Motion Photos do behave differently
0: than the one Samsung, for example. Could. Yeah, on top of that, there can also be like different formats in, the, in these single files. Uh, so it's a, it's a real nightmare, but it was it was uh, also fun. It's, I mean, it was a challenge.
3: Yeah, I bet. But all the, like stuff like this is coming out. Like there's new formats and files all the time. It's not like it's just going to end one day, right? Like there's going to be something next week that will probably come
2: out that you have to implement. It's
1: an ongoing challenge, definitely.
2: Yeah, <laughs> And uh, how many users do you have right now?
1: So I would estimate around 40,000.
0: Yeah, like we're not, we have probably many more users, but these are like the, because we uh, serve the, um, uh, serve the gear data and add the maps uh, for, for uh, our users. And so we have like a bit of traffic data so We can estimate how many uh, instances there are. And so uh, there's like every day around 40,000 active instances, but then there's like, or or, like servers, Uh, but they can also have uh, on on each uh, instance, there can also like be multiple users and so on. And uh, some uh, people probably don't have it connected to the internet uh so those won't be
3: detected at all i think the re- how we found you guys is on github you're one of the top projects in the ai space in terms of uh being trending so that's that's uh says something a lot right there uh it's hard it's not easy to you know get a lot of stars and uh pull requests and things like that and and download so awesome work uh because usually yeah. the, usually the projects on github in my opinion are the best ones because they've got the best coders behind them and if they're doing well and other coders or programmers like them, that says a lot about the project. So awesome job.
0: Thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been, it's been a lot of work. And like we both have like a, like a scientific, uh, technical background. Uh, so that was actually like the the most challenging part about this was, uh, figuring out like how to make it like uh, sustainable, uh, how to organize the community, uh, like, um, and also, like being resilient when, like, uh, when, like, you know, some some users there when they're not when they're not satisfied, they're getting like really really angry, uh, mm-hmm. and this is like a like sometimes a real challenge when you when you like need to focus on something work on something really complicated, and, and then like like one of your users screams to you like uh because of the frustration and you just you just need to uh, like to find a way around that uh, still so be nice and like don't don't let let it impact your your work and like so you so you uh can can uh do what you're like uh what what you're currently doing and don't need to like uh uh take some time off to cool down or something
3: yeah it's got to be frustrating sometimes like sometimes if, i think everyone has this problem where you You're just you wake up in the morning and you're just putting fires out all day um, and not getting really what you wanted to get done. So it's probably like that on steroids for open source project.
0: We get so much positive feedback. So basically I would say uh, like 99% of the feedback is extremely positive. But then there comes like this this one uh, uh, one negative thing or like. Somebody uh, like just had too much coffee yeah it's uh, crazy
3: how like those little negative things if 99 99 of the things are positive we tend to focus on the negative sometimes you know so it's just like it's awesome to know that your 99 percent of your stuff is is positive and, and being welcome welcomed by the community so that's great.
0: yeah I think it's just like, just, just human uh, and like usually like in, a, in like a big company uh, like that's like technical support stuff who takes care of it. And the right. the challenge for us really is that, that like we're doing it everything uh, on our own. Uh, so uh, we uh, need to need like way to um, uh, like like deal with this and so that, that like the one thing that happens like this uh, like this one task doesn't like impact uh, what you like want to do next.
3: Definitely. And it's not like when you're running a GitHub, any open source project, uh, you are you don't have any time off really, right? It's not like you work till 5 p.m. and and shut down. Like you're no, always we're, working. <laughs> we're
1: always working. And even if we have gone through all May, days in the evening, in the morning we have a lot more because we have users all over the world. So from all different time zones, also in the chat, there's like all around the day uh, questions coming in, even when we're sleeping.
3: Um, is there anything... Other than photoprism.app that you, you guys would like to promote or anything you'd like to promote, now's the time to
2: do it. This is
0: all we have.
2: That's it, okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Thank you, guys.
2: So be sure to check out photoprism.app. Uh, very cool. They got a demo on there that you can check out. Uh, if you haven't already, we'll put the, the link underneath. But um, And then also subscribe to Ryan and I's weekday newsletter, fry-ai.com. You can get weekday news, uh, the latest in AI, along with some cool tools and community engagement. And also subscribe to uh, Behind the Bots, uh, where you can see all different cool interviews with different developers.